John chapter 8, where Paul was reading for, for us just a moment ago. I've entitled the morning's message, The Light of the World. Um, as we dive in this morning, we are in the third of five sections of the Gospel of John. This is the largest, um, 5 through 12, and uh, this section deals with the opposition to the Son of Man, and I suppose of all the chapters, um, uh, we'll see it becomes very heated between Jesus and the scribes and the Pharisees, especially as we get towards the end of this particular chapter. Now, in John chapter 8, we're going to find the third reason for the opposition to the Lord. Um, let's just review the, review the first two. The first one, he healed on the Sabbath, and as a result, they hated him for that. Uh, number two, he made himself equal to God. And uh, that was the second reason. Chapter 8 in verse 37, you can sneak ahead and look at it if you want to. It gives us the third reason um, that they hate him, and that is because his word had no place in him, and therefore they sought to kill him. So the gloves are off, and uh, they're ready to um, um, trap him, do anything they can to get to him, and as as we look um, at verses one through eight, uh, they're getting very desperate. They're willing to kill this woman just to get to the Lord. They sort of set up a trap, not sort of, they do set up a trap, and um, we're going to find how the Lord is going to dismantle them in the process. So let's read the first uh, eight verses to John chapter eight. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, but early in the morning he came again to the temple, and all the people came to him and sat down and taught them. And then the scribes and the Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, teacher, Now this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? This they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw the stone at her first. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Well, we have some issues with this here, them being scribes and Pharisees. I'm going to have you turn to um, three different Old Testament scriptures. Let's begin with Leviticus Leviticus chapter 20. Let's go back to Leviticus. I'll just read one verse. All of chapter 18 deals with the law of sexual 
sins. I would encourage you to read it all, but there's 30 verses here for sake of time, and I'm not going to go through the one that applies to our text this morning. And um, that would be verse 10 of chapter 20, which says, uh, let me take something back here. All of Leviticus chapter 18 deals with the laws of sexual sin. And there's 30 verses there. If you go to chapter 20, I'm interested in drawing out one verse in particular. The man who commits adultery with another man's wife, he who commits adultery with his neighbor's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress, adulteress shall surely be put to death. Problem number one with this trap. If she was caught in the very act, that means that there was two people that were there. They didn't bring the man. They brought the woman. And they throw her down at Jesus' feet. And mind you, Jesus is giving a Bible study during this time. So it had to create quite a stir. I could just see her throwing him down to the ground and or her down to the ground, well, the first thing that comes to my mind is where's the guy? You see, this is, I think this is a setup. I think it's a trap. Here's the deal. We all know where she lives. You go over. We'll break up the party. We'll just take her. You go free. And there might have been something in it for him, and uh, maybe there wasn't. So the Lord, um, I'm going to point this out a couple times as we go through John, Remember one of the things that I want, I point out, either it's person or persons, and without exception, the Lord is going to tell something about that person that nobody else knows. And we're going to see that here again this morning. So let's go to um, a couple places where we see the hand of the Lord. Uh, The one that's obvious is, of course, the Ten Commandments in Exodus, where uh, with his uh, finger he wrote what we call the Ten Commandments on two tablets of stone. I'm going to take you to more obscure ones. Uh, Let's go to um, uh, Jeremiah, and uh, let's look at chapter 17, and we'll just read verse 13 on this one. So Jeremiah 17, verse 13. O Lord, the hope of Israel, all who forsake you shall be ashamed, and those who depart from me shall be written in the earth because they have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living water. Now, if that's applicable to our study this morning, maybe yes, maybe no. I found it interesting that that would be there. Also, turn to the book of Daniel chapter 5. This very Daniel, excuse me, Daniel, um, up to this time, and Daniel's promoted as a result of what is going to happen here with this dream. Um, Daniel chapter 5, picking it up in verse 1 through 6. Belteshazzar, verse 1, the king made a great feast. 
for a thousand of his lords. And he drank wine in the presence of the thousands. And while he tasted the wine, Belshazzar gave the command to bring the gold, silver vessels, which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple which had been in Jerusalem, that the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. So he's showing off, basically. Then they brought the gold vessels that had been taken from the temple of the house of God, which had been in Jerusalem. And the king and the lords and his wives and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the God of gold and silver, bronze and wood, iron and stone. Verse 5. While this is going on, in the same hour, the fingers of a man's hand appeared and wrote opposite the lampstand on the plaster of the wall on the king's palace, and the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. This shook him up so much that the king's countenance changed and his thoughts troubled him so that his joints of his hips were loosed. Now that's a descriptive term, and if you can't figure it out, I'm not going to tell you. (laughs) But they were loosened, and his knees knocked again against each other. I mean, just put yourself in the setting. Uh, imagine in the middle of this Bible study here, uh, all of a sudden up there, there's a hand that appears and it starts writing something. I'd say my Bible study was pretty much over. <laughs> and your attention would definitely be drawn somewhere else. Well, they were mocking God, and God will not be mocked. Um, they were, uh, Daniel's going to call him out um, and he says, Belshazzar would have been the, um, um, the grandson to Nebuchadnezzar. Not son, but grandson, even though it calls him here. And basically, um, the reason it says in verse 3, you'll be the third ruler in the kingdom, um, that would have been um, him and his father, and then... Uh, than Daniel. But he calls him up and basically says, look, I knew your grandfather. And let me tell you, you're not anything like your grandfather. He was humbled. And uh, when he saw the work of the Lord, um, um, God humbled him for seven years and God, God raised him up. Now, I simply bring you here uh, to point out that there are several places, the Ten Commandments, um, the one we read in Leviticus um, and in Jeremiah, the finger of the Lord writing. And here the finger of God is writing once again. And so with that, let's make our way back to John chapter 8. We left off in verse 8. And he stooped down and he wrote on the ground. Verse 9, and then those who heard it being convicted by their conscience went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last, and Jesus was left alone and a woman standing in the midst. I don't know how many there there were. It simply tells us in verse 1 and 2 and 3, the scribes and the Pharisees, two mixed groups. 
And uh, what's happening here is um, he tells them, okay, cast the first stone, but he who is without sin, he's the guy that's got to do it. There was only one person in that crowd that day who was without sin. Good place for an amen. So here's where I want to again point out something that, um, again, is consistent, unique to the Gospel of John, that whoever the Lord is dealing with, including John the Baptist, he's going to pull something out of their life that they're sure nobody else knows about. And such is going to be the case, I believe, here. Because he gets down on his knees, he's blowing these guys off. He's ignoring them. And he just simply begins to write in the sand. And the result of whatever he wrote, I'm sure he wrote and then wiped it out. Now, it gives the indication here in verse 9 that when he did stand up, he was left alone. But I actually think he had eyeball-to-eyeball contact I think he would have written things like thief and then he'd wipe it out and and sort of look up at the guy and then the guy goes, hmm, I just remembered I got some business to take care of. Uh, I'll see you guys later. (laughs) And then he maybe would write murder and maybe he'd look over at this guy and that guy all of a sudden, he's got to take off. Then he could have wrote, liar. Everything you're doing right now is a lie. Now he looks at the ringleader who probably set the whole thing up, looked at him. Well, he's got an appointment that he's got to go to, too. And then the clincher, I think, was adulterer. And whoever he looked at and he wipes that, um, that person leaves, too. And all of a sudden, nobody's there. Everybody is gone. The reason is given for us. They were convicted in their conscience. But I believe they were secret sins that nobody knew. But he knew. How does he know that about me? And that's what I think really got their attention. No, he knew that. Jesus did. And then we find... um, I want to do a little sidetrack here as we get into this area. Not too many places. Um, We do read about it in that 18th chapter of Leviticus. The whole chapter there, I would encourage you to read it, to say that our morals have declined. I'm, I'm just watching the last two years. Things that I'm seeing on TV now were not on TV two years ago, especially when it comes to the gay and lesbian community. Many of our commercials today feel an obligation that they have to be a part of that system. And that's how far morally. Can you imagine a generation ago that ever ever taking place? Why I do this, I don't know. I get myself in so much trouble by getting sidetracked and telling personal stories. Okay, I'm naive. I'm from Appleton, Wisconsin. It's the late 60s. I happened to be in Greenwich Village. Bought my first guitar there. And um, um, I'm staying with friends that are on the corner of Marks and First Avenue. 
And um, it was David Miller's relative, and it was a guy, two guys and a gal that were living in this house, and I needed a ride downtown. So, I'm not saved yet, let's clarify here. (laughs) I needed a ride downtown, these two guys said, we'll give you a ride downtown. And I said, okay, I'll I'll take it. And they're sitting in the front seat, and I'm sitting in the back seat. And um, one of them looks at me and goes, are you straight? Now, straight to me meant that (laughs) you you smoked that uh, pharmaceutical cigarette. Let's just put it that way. So when he asked that question to me, I said, of course I'm not straight. (laughs) And he looked at me and grinned, and then he winked at me. Now, I have heard about such people. <laughs> no, it's sad about that story. That's the only thing you're going to remember during his Bible study so far. <laughs> Where it comes from, I tell myself, don't let it out. But it comes, it comes out anyway. You know, you know what, though, at a personal level? You need to hear from me that I'm no different than you, okay? Amen. God has called me into ministry. I have no doubt about my calling and the position and authority that goes along with it. That doesn't bother me at all. But if I have a one-on-one with somebody and they call me Pastor Dwight, I set them straight real quick. I said, look, I'm no different than you are. Matter of fact, I'm pretty sure I'm a better sinner than you'll ever or were be. And it just it completely disarms them because they got this holier-than-thou image. And why shouldn't they? Most people in the pulpit today are all decked out in robes, and head garments, and they're doing everything in their power to make them look more spiritual than you are. Not Jesus. He didn't have a place to lay his head. I don't even think he had any money. And uh, it was a woman that traveled with him that actually took care of him. Uh, Isaiah tells him uh, he was an ordinary-looking man. There's no beauty in him that we would desire him. We would say he was an average-looking Jewish person. And he never gave the persona, uh, except one time on on Palm Sunday when he allowed people to worship him as the Messiah. Now, I hope I can make my way back from that story because, oh, I know how far we have fallen. And um, my heart broke. I read an article just yesterday. This isn't my notes either about a father who won the right not to have his seven-year-old son attend a sexually-oriented class, only to have it overturned. Only to have it overturned. So don't get me started, because I'm already started. But uh, for the church today, you guys need to stand your ground. You cannot compromise in this area. Is it politically incorrect? More than any issue I know. And it's going to become more so and more so and more so. And we're, we cannot be afraid to talk about it for one reason. Do you love um, them more than you love yourself? Do you want to avoid the feeling of, uh, of uh, awkwardness? Or are you going to say, you know, I really do care about you. And the reason I'm telling you about this is if you continue in this lifestyle, you need to put to memory 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, where it says, don't be deceived. 
These people are not going to heaven. And the list is there, but tell them, you're on the list. So either that's right and you're wrong, or that's wrong and you're right. Are you going to play Russian roulette with your soul? It's not worth it. Anyway, let's get back to we left off. In verse, um, I want to talk a little bit, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, because this is such an issue today. We're going to talk about sex. Uh, Picking it up in verse 1 through 9, a little bit of background about Corinth. Um, they They were the most dysfunctional church in the New Testament. I've been to Corinth. The city's below, but the temple, with a thousand temple prostitutes, would come down on the weekends and sort of collect the tithes and offerings, if you want to put it that way, with their trade. So I'm saying that because Corinth was known for its immorality. It was a sailor's town. I mean, it's right on the coast. There's a very famous canal there called the Corinthian Canal that they actually dug through so boats don't have to go all the way around. So he's addressing the issue of of, uh, the necessity of having a healthy sexual lifestyle. Verse 1. Now concerning uh, chapter 7. Now concerning the things of which you wrote to me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Uh, Single, of course, here. Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife and let each woman have her own husband and let the husband render to his wife the affection due her and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another except with consent for a time that you may give yourself to fasting and prayer and come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. But this I say as a concession and not a commandment. For I wish that all men were even as I myself, but each one has his own gift from God, one in this manner, one in that. But I say to the unmarried and to the widow, it is good for them if they remain even as I am. Verse 9 is important. If they cannot exercise self-control, let them marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. And now, as um, this woman has chosen... Uh, prostitution or adultery or whatever as her lifestyle. Uh, it could be, and I'm only, it's my hypothesis here, you, you could have yours. What Paul is saying is make sure that your sex life is healthy. And uh, make sure that you never use it as a tool or a reward. That is off the boards according to 1 Corinthians 7. Why? Because if that is happening, it clearly says, if, um, unless you agree with it, oh, God, we might have to sell the house. This is a really big decision. Honey, let's say we just fast and pray and uh, stay away from the flesh, including our relationships. Let's just seek the Lord so that we can hear about what he wants to do in this situation. 
So if you're in agreement, fine. But one of you can't say, well, I got a headache. (laughs) Or I'm not feeling like it. Well, the other partner is. I hope I'm not being too blunt. (laughs) But what we're talking about here is a healthy sexual relationship. And if it's not happening and one is holding back, the Bible says it opens the door for Satan to tempt you. Why would we be tempted? Because there's no romance at home. So now the eyes are wandering somewhere else, maybe on the workplace, maybe here, maybe there. And this isn't something we talk about often. It's not comfortable and it's awkward. But it's in the Bible and it's got to be talked about. So as a result, go out of your way, ladies. Go the extra mile, look attractive. Go the extra mile to flirt. Uh, Guys, same with you. Go the extra mile to um, show her the due affection that is due her. And as uh, I think on this, go to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22. 2 Timothy 2, 22. You know, we read in the Bible that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. So we need the sword of the spirit, amen? We need the shield of faith, amen? For what purpose? Um, to squelch the fiery darts of our enemy. And so this verse right here is the only one, this is the only sin, let's read it, verse 22, where it says, flee youthful lusts, but pursue righteousness on the Lord out of a pure heart, but avoid foolish and ignorant disputes knowing that they generate strife. It says run. This is the only sin where it doesn't say, take out the sword of the spirit, hold up the shield of faith. No, this sin you run from um, because we're that uh, and can be that vulnerable. Um, Okay, enough on that. Let's go back to the Gospel of John. I think we made our point. John 8, we left off in verse 12. And um, I did this for a reason. The natural break would have been verse 11. Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness and have the light of of light. Verse 12, remember John's gospel is written around seven I am statements and seven miracles. This here um, in verse 12 is a second of the I am statements. I am the light of the world. The first one is back in chapter 6. Two places, verse 35 and 48, where it says, I am the bread of life. Now in verse 12, he's saying, I am the light of the world. The rest of the chapter is where it gets heated up. He had put them all in their place. And he called them out and told them things that they, they were there to kill him. Verse 37 says, but you seek to kill me. But he, they were all gone. 
And when he, no, I'm sorry, we need to go back to verse 10. I got a little ahead of myself. But when Jesus had raised himself up, he said, uh, saw no one but the woman, and he said to her, woman, where are your accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? And she said, no one, Lord. Notice that he says, no one, Lord. And Jesus says, and neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. All right, Uh, this is for anybody here, anybody watching live stream. If you call yourself a believer and you're involved with uh, this activity, what the Lord says here is stop it. Just stop it. Go and do it no more. And, um, And then he says, she calls him Lord. Remember, the Lord knows all things about this person now. And so he knows something that she doesn't know that he knows, <laughs> that she has just gotten saved. Just like the thief on the cross, no sinner's prayer. Um, just no one Lord. And she called him Lord. Go and sin no more. Okay, now in verse 13, this is uh, an Towards the end, I'll jump around a little bit here. Now the opposition really ramps up. Why? Because these guys have been put in their their place. Uh, The Pharisees start the debate, read it. The Pharisees therefore said to him, well, they're changing the subject. You bear witness of yourself, and your witness is not true. And Jesus answered and said to them, even... If I bear witness of myself, my witness is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going. But you do not know where I came from and you do not know where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. And yet if I do judge, my judgment is true. For I am not alone. I am with the Father who sent me. It is also written in your law that the testimony of two men is true. I am one who bears witness of myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness of me. By the way, there was at least three. John the Baptist also did. Then they said to him sarcastically, where is your father? And Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. For if you had known me, you would have known my father also. These words spoke Jesus in the treasury as he taught in the temple that no one laid hands on him. And the answer, what are we learning as we study verse by verse and chapter by chapter? His hour has not yet come. Question, how many times is that repeated in John's gospel? How many? I've said it every message. (laughs) How many times did Jesus say my hour has not yet come? Take a wild guess. Thank you. You guys knew all you knew. Why wasn't anybody saying anything? Are you still freaked out from my story in in, uh, New York? (laughs) Oy vey. My hour has not yet come. Then Jesus said to them again, "I'm I'm going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sins. For where I go, you cannot come. So they said, 
Will he kill himself? Because he says, where I go, you cannot come. And he said to them, you are from beneath and I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. Therefore, I said to you that you will die in your sins, for if you do not believe that I am he. Now I'm gonna stop right here, and I want you to notice that the he is in italics. See that? Okay, that means it's not there. What is there is I am. And it should read like this. If you do not believe that I am, and he is referring to the I am that I am from the burning bush. If you don't believe that I am God in the flesh, you're going to die in your sins. I won't bet money against that. Then he said, who are you? And Jesus said to them, just what I've been saying to you from the beginning. I have many things to say to you and judge concerning you. He who sent me is true, and I speak to the world those things which I heard from him. They did not understand that he spoke to them of the Father. And then Jesus said to them, when you lift up the Son of Man, he's talking about the crucifixion, then you will know that I am, again, he is in italics, and that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father taught me, I speak these things. And he who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I always do those things that please him. Don't you wish you could say that? Oh, I always do those things that I please him. No, I'm more like Paul. The things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, those are the things I end up doing. Oh, wretched man that I am. And he spoke these words. Notice now that they aren't all against him. It says in verse Um, 30, as he spoke these words, many believed in him. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, well, if you abide in my word, you are my disciple indeed, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Freedom. Um, You can't buy it. You don't deserve it. You can't earn it. But simply by believing, it's like we read In John 6, uh, verse 29, this is the work of God that you believe in him who he has sent, period. It's a finished work. Again, you're out of the equation. Put yourself in the equation, we'll mess it up. But if the whole, my whole job is just to believe in the finished work of grace and what was accomplished on, on Calvary, then you'll be free. And so he tells them in verse 33 then, they answered him, um, now these would have been, it's up for grabs here, it could be those that are believing on him or the scribes and the Pharisees that are critics are jumping back into the debate. And they answered him, well, we're of Abraham's descendants. Have you ever been in, and have never been in bondage to anyone? What? Who's ruling the country right now? Rome. <laughs> what do you mean you've never been in bondage to anyone? They, they couldn't kill Jesus. They had to get permission from Pilate. They didn't have, if, if you're free in your government, then you have the ability to make those decisions. We've never been in bondage to anybody. They were in bondage at the time that they made the statement. 
to Rome. So we've never been in bondage to anyone. Um, Verse 34, Jesus answered, Most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you're free indeed. What a great verse. I know that you are of Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me. And again, here is uh, the um, third reason for opposition. There's five, and this is the third. Why? Because my word has no place in you. Now, for us who love the Lord, I mean, the word is everything. It's what feeds us. It's what encourages us. It's what gives us a reason to get up and go on for another day. Um, but here, they had, uh, his word had no place for them. I speak what I have seen in my father, and you do what you have seen with your father. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But you seek to kill me. Uh, Who has told you the truth which I heard from God? Abraham did not do this. Okay, this is where it gets ratched up. I hope you can sense it and feel it as we make our way through chapter eight. Because now they uh, start throwing words at the Lord. In verse 41, then they, uh, you do the deeds of your father. And they said to him, we were born, or we were not born of fornication. So evidently, this had been a rumor that everybody knew that Mary was not of a virgin birth. They weren't just gonna buy that. Yeah, right. You're pregnant by God. We believe that one, Sure. And so they throw it in his face at this point. Uh, Well, we weren't born of fornication. We have one God, uh, our Father. And Jesus said, if God were your Father, you would love me, for I proceeded forth from and came from God. Nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you're not able to listen to my word. Now, here's where the Lord throws it right back at him. You're of your father the devil. Whoa. That's a slam, by the way. You are of your father the devil, and the desire of your father you want to do, you, he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Well, who, um, who killed um, Cain? How was that motivated? The first murder that took place in the Bible from the beginning was Cain and Abel. And you know know the debate, everybody argues over this. Well, Cain, yeah, Cain. Where did Cain get his wife from? And of course the answer is to that, if if I was Abel, I would tell you. I'm hoping I'll tell that one so you forget the other one. (laughs) The first murder. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. He's a liar 
and a murderer, and he's equating the scribes and the Pharisees to them. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? And if I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears God's word. Therefore, you do not hear because you are not of God. Then the Jews answered and said to him, did we not rightly say that you're a Samaritan and have a demon? Now, here comes the words again. Now he's a Samaritan. And you, you know what the Jews feel about the Samaritans. Um, you're a Samaritan. Find my verse here. And you're demon-possessed on top of it. And Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father, and you dishonor him. And I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks and judges. Most assuredly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my words, he will never see death. Well, that just ticked them off even more. Then the Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham is dead, and the prophets. And you say, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham, who is dead? And the prophets are dead? Whom do you make yourself out to be? In other words, who do you think you are? And Jesus answered, if I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my father who honors me, of whom you say that he is your God. Yet you have not known him, but I know him. And I say, and if I say I do not know him, I shall be a liar like you. But I do know him and kept his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day and saw it and was glad. Now this had to stop them in their tracks. What did you just say? That I I saw Abraham and when he saw me, he was glad to see me. And what the Lord is saying there, they said, the Jews said to him, you're not even 50 years old and you're telling us that you've seen Abraham? Turn with me to Genesis chapter 18 tells us in verse one, and the Lord appeared to him, this would be Abraham, and the Lord appeared to Abraham as he was sitting in the tent door in the heat of the day. And he lifted his eyes and looked and behold, three men were standing by him. Well, we know that one of the three is the Lord because it tells us so in verse one. We're standing by him and when he saw them, He ran from the door to meet them and bowed himself down to the ground and said, My Lord, I have now found favor in your sight. Do not pass by on your servant. Please have a little water be brought. Wash your feet and rest yourself under the tree. And so when the Lord tells him, Yeah, I know Abraham. I had supper with him. Uh, Was in his tent. And they should have known the scriptures if Jesus is who he claimed to be. Scribes and the Pharisees had no problem quoting the book of Genesis. They could do it. And they're probably thinking, you mean you're telling us that that was you way back there? So they have to grapple with that. Let's go back and close out John 8. Then the Jews said, you're not 50 years old and you have seen Abraham 
Most assuredly, old King James, verily, verily, I say to you before Abraham was, what does it say? Capital letters. Oh, they got it, and they understood exactly what he was saying. So what's the response? They're going to take him out right now, except it's not his hour. The last verse says, they took up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out from the temple, going through the midst of them, and so he passed by. So here he comes right out and tells them exactly who he is. They understand exactly what he's saying, so that's blasphemy as far as they're concerned. So they're going to kill him right there on the spot. Now, um, something very interesting to me here because it says he left the temple. Who left the temple? Well, one of the I am statements is I am the light of the world. So what do we have a picture of here? We have a picture of the light leaving the temple. The light of the world passes through and I have a hunch of where he ended up, but not from the New Testament, but from the Old Testament. And we'll close our study with it this morning. Why don't you turn to the book of Ezekiel. The book of Ezekiel. And I want to read a couple verses that's repeated. Let me give you a little background here. Both Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Daniel um, were contemporaries. Um, Daniel went in the first siege to Babylon. Ezekiel would have went in the final siege. Jeremiah stayed in Jerusalem. So keep these three men in mind. Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and uh, Daniel. Daniel would have been the first to go. Jeremiah never went, but Ezekiel prophesied from Babylon. So with that being said, Ezekiel has already had this vision once before. So I, I go back to 10, first of all. I'm just gonna read uh, this. And I looked in, the, in verse one, and there in the firmament that was above the head of the cherubim, there appeared something like a sapphire stone having the appearance of the likeness of a stone and he spoke to the man clothed with linen, go in among the wheels under the cherub. This is uh, something um, Ezekiel saw before but it also is described in the book of Revelation chapter four with the one on the throne looking like a sapphire with a rainbow over it. And I have no doubt that this is the Lord himself and he went in as I watched and this whole chapter is extremely interesting because it gets into the details of uh, these four cherubim they have four faces Uh, when they move they all move forward at the same time and I've thought this over so many times and the only thing that I can come up with they have four faces and whenever the faces move they go straight forward it can only be multidimensional as far as I can tell because you're going in four different directions but all at the same time. So go figure that one out. <laughs> when the Lord says my ways are above your ways, this is just one of those places. Now, if you go to chapter 11, verse 22 to 25, 
we have the departure of the Shekinah glory of the Lord departing the temple. Let me rephrase it with the terminology from the New Testament. The light of the world is departing the temple. 22. Then the cherubim lifted up their wings and the wheels beside them and the glory or the light of the God of Israel was high above them and the glory of the Lord went up from the midst of the city and stood on the mountain. What mountain? The mountain that's on the east side of the city. We're talking to Mount of Olives. Then the spirit took me up and brought me in a vision by the spirit of God into um, Chaldea, which uh, would have been Babylon, and though it to those in captivity. And the vision that I had seen went up from me, so I spoke to them in captivity. So where is Ezekiel? In Babylon. Of all the things that the Lord had shown. So what was one of the things that he mentions? He says, well, before they took me up here, I watched the presence of the light of the world rise. And then it went to the Mount of Olives, and that's the last I saw of it. Okay? Let's go back to John and put these together. You know, when we read earlier and Paul said, I say this out of concession and not necessarily from the Lord, I'm going to say the same thing here. I cannot and won't be dogmatic about what I'm about to say. But I see um, a similarity here of judgment coming because the Lord would not be received but rejected. Um, he tells them, you're not going to see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So John chapter 8 ends with the light of the world leaving the temple. Okay, let's fast forward until they see him no more. Where's the last place the Lord is seen? On the Mount of Olives, when he was taking up in Acts chapter 1. Now, I find stuff like that just very interesting. I think the Holy Spirit sort of intertwines it and makes us think about it. And um, as a result of that happening, uh, our, our faith in the Lord is increased. All right, we started the study today talking about we're living in perilous times. We need to be able to take a stand. Um, uh, we got to be extremely careful because the lack of morality in the world in which we live, guys, gals, it should scare you to death to think anything like that could ever happen and the damage that would be done. And so when the Lord says, go out and do it no more, if by any chance you're messing around or even thinking about flirting with it, I hope this study this morning takes care of that and you have what's called a good healthy uh, fear of the Lord, and then that the Lord would give you boldness to stand up against some of these wackos that are trying to take our kids and say we can't be their parents anymore. We're going to tell them what they can do. You're not, and if you want to take it to court, we'll win. Well, at least in California and then some other places too. How's that for a happy, clappy way to end a Bible study, huh? <laughs> Let's stand up and we'll pray. Lord, thank you for your word this morning. As we make our way through the gospel of John, thank you, Lord, that your word deals with every issue in life, even ones that are hard to talk about. 
So, Lord, I, I pray for any that are struggling with temptation. I pray for any in the fellowship that need to work on and improve their love relationship with, with their husband or wife. We thank you so much for your word, Lord, and we give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. The terminology from the New Testament, the light of the world is departing the temple. 22. Then the cherubim lifted up their wings and the wheels beside them, and the glory, or the light, of the God of Israel was high above them, and the glory of the Lord went up from the midst of the city and stood on the mountain. What mountain? The mountain that's on the east side of the city. We're talking to Mount of Olives. Then the Spirit took me up and brought me in a vision by the Spirit of God into um, Chaldea, which uh, would have been Babylon, and though it to those in captivity. And a vision that I had seen went up from me, so I spoke to them in captivity. So where is Ezekiel? In Babylon. Of all the things that the Lord had shown. So what was one of the things that he mentions? He says, well, before they took me up here, I watched the presence of the light of the world rise. And then it went to the Mount of Olives, and that's the last I saw of it, okay? Let's go back to John and put these together. You know, when we read earlier and Paul said, I say this out of concession and not necessarily from the Lord, I'm gonna say the same thing here. I cannot and won't be dogmatic about what I'm about to say. But I see um, a similarity here of judgment coming because the Lord would not be received but rejected um, he tells them, you're not gonna see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So John chapter eight ends with the light of the world leaving the temple. Okay, let's fast forward until they see him no more. Where's the last place the Lord is seen? On the Mount of Olives, when he was taking up in Acts chapter one. Now, I find stuff like that just very interesting. I think the Holy Spirit sort of intertwines it and makes us think about it. And um, as a result of that happening, uh, our, our faith in the Lord is increased. All right, we started the study today talking about we're living in perilous times. We need to be able to take a stand. Um, uh, we got to be extremely careful because the lack of morality in the world in which we live, guys, gals, it should scare you to death to think anything like that could ever happen and the damage that would be done. And so when the Lord says, go out and do it no more, if by any chance you're messing around or even thinking about flirting with it, I hope this study this morning takes care of that and you have what's called a good healthy uh, fear of the Lord, and then that the Lord would give you boldness to stand up against some of these wackos that are trying to take our kids and say we can't be their parents anymore. We're gonna tell them what they can do. You're not, and if you wanna take it to court, we'll win. Well, at least in California and then some other places too. How's that for a happy, clappy way to end a Bible study, huh? <laughs> Let's stand up and we'll pray. Lord, thank you for your word this morning. As we make our way through the gospel, 
of John. Thank you, Lord, that your word deals with every issue in life, even ones that are hard to talk about. So, Lord, I pray for any that are struggling with temptation. I pray for any in a fellowship that need to work on and improve their love relationship with, with their husband or wife. We thank you so much for your word, Lord, and we give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.